I'm Cameron DeFazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are now on our fifth lesson of this fourth quarter. The title of this one is The Stranger in Your Gates. And Pastor We're delving Howard, deep into De Deuteronomy this week, or there was a little discovery, I think you Yes, it, it, it finally dawned on me. It took five lessons deep for this light to dawn on me that it, the lesson isn't a study of Deuteronomy. This no, quarter is a study of present truth in Deuteronomy, so it's more of a topical study of relevant issues that are rooted or have connection to Deuteronomy. So if you're going through, like saying, why aren't we going through it sequentially and chronologically? Not so much of an exegetical exactly. Study. It's not trying to dig out everything in the book, it's trying to use the book as a platform to speak about other issues. And I think that's a totally legitimate thing. You just gotta keep that in your mind as you're going through these lessons. Mm. So this week is, and honestly, it's a follow up to last week's where yes. last week was about the loving the Lord your God with all your heart and now it's talking about the stranger in your gates so we're moving on to the next aspect all right of that. well we need to pray and then uh, you need to break down our talking points let's do it Shall we pray together Heavenly Father we are so thankful for your word and as we study the word this week Lord I pray for all of our Sabbath school teachers and students that we will be blessed and that the word would be a living and powerful reality in our lives and draw us closer to you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent for we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. The text for this week is super simple. It's Deuteronomy 10:19. Right. It says, "Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt." Pretty straightforward. So the love that they're supposed to have for other people, especially the strangers among them, the other people, is the topic of this week. And in Sabbath afternoon's lesson in paragraph four, mm -hmm. we read that the idea of loving one's neighbor and of loving other people as a way to express our love for God was taken from the book of Deuteronomy. And that right there is when, as they say, the penny dropped for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, we're not talking about something that Deuteronomy necessarily itself lends it to, but it's rooted here, and this is a practical application. Uh, yes, indeed. Principles. And it's a good point because you come to the New Testament, and we people quote it a lot. In fact, it's ironic how there are people who, if you've ever met a New Testament Christian, mm -hmm. and they're like, "I don't, I don't get any Old Testament stuff because that's all done away with." That. Right. Not realizing how much of the New Testament, <laughs> just the teachings of Jesus yeah. himself, were rooted in our direct quotes from. Right. See, even some of their famous New, New Testamental phrases yes. are just quotes like from the Old Testament. One. Yeah, love, love, the Lord you know, your God and your neighbor and as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's our, that's the <laughs> important commandment. Oh, it's in Deuteronomy as Deuteronomy sums up the Ten Commandments. Exactly. Beautiful point. Well, let's talk and outline these talking points. Number one is God's mm. law belongs in our hearts. Uh. We're going to see it was written on tables of stone, but the ultimate, as we've repeated again, but we'll see it again here, destination was the heart of man. And that comes all from Sunday's lesson. Okay. Talking point number two, God doesn't know a stranger. Mm. <laughs> so, well, we'll dive into what that means exactly, but nobody's strange to God. Right. He owns everything. We'll talk he about that. He owns everything, knows everything, That's knows right. everyone. And Called them by name before they were born. That's fascinating. Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. And that all comes from Tuesday and a, and a bit of Wednesday, but mostly Tuesday. And talking point number three, how we love God is seen in how we love others. So the, we're right. going to see that the ultimate manifestation of all of this love stuff is seen in our treatment of other people. And that comes from Wednesday and Thursday. All right, let's dive into it. All right. Well, we start with Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, verse 17. 
And there it talks about, well, just that single passage. In fact, why don't you read that for us? It sets the table for where we, no pun intended, sets the table. <laughs> Tables of the law being broken here. But what does it read in Deuteronomy 9.17? Deuteronomy 9.17 says, Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. I wonder in telling that story if you kind of acted it out again, I took these two and I threw, but clearly he's, this isn't the story of it happening. This is the story of the retelling of it's happening. Right. And Moses is reminding them the importance and significance of that act. And, you know, I it used wasn't to, just a temper tantrum. Exactly. I used to think that he was so irate. He had just a little fit and just threw down these commandments. But he repeats. That's the, that's the problem we run into when, if we've ever seen these old Bible movies, and you mm -hmm. know, you get the picture. You know, there's the Charlton Heston, Heston yeah. and there's a, that must be like Mo. Anyway, yeah. But Moses here is outlining this, like, and remember, I did this, both of my hands on purpose in front of you all, as though it had more significance than I was just so mad I threw the right. through a fit. Um, there was a significance An object to it. lesson. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I have written there is that smashing the first tablets of stone represented Israel's breaking of the covenant. Mm -hmm. And from the added inside of the spirit of prophecy, which we'll see just in a second, it also indicated God's reciprocation of their breaking, his response to that. Why don't you read from Patriarchs mm -hmm. and Prophets 3.20 there. Yes. Uh, it says, to show his abhorrence of their crime, he threw down the tablets of stone and they were... Of the tables of stone, rather, and they were broken in the sight of all the people, thus signifying that as they had broken their covenant with God, so God had broken his covenant with them. Now that we need to spend a second on. Because mm -hmm. you would think that in the covenant, well, God's never unfaithful to his That was the unique thing about God is that God always honors the covenant, and it's us that always breaks it. But this statement says very clearly, signifying that as they had broken their covenant with God, so God had broken his covenant with them. And it's almost, it almost feels weird to say God broke his covenant. But... In, in our discussion about this, we we got to remember that there weren't two covenants, the one that God had with us and then a separate one that we had with him, that there's only a single covenant. And when man's part was broken off through rebellion, that automatically dissolves. There's nothing for the Lord to connect to. The, the covenant is broken. Mm -hmm. And you had some thoughts on that I thought you wanted to Well, I just, here. there's so many places in Scripture, for example, and, you know, God tells his people to obey and he says in and I will be your God and you will be my people. But that a covenant is, a, is an agreement, mm -hmm. a two-party agreement. And part of the agreement was that you are faithful to me and then I will be faithful to you. It, it's a conditional relationship. Mm -hmm. So if you're not faithful to me, I'm obligated by the covenant to mm -hmm. reciprocate. That's right. You know, and so it made me think of Hebrews chapter 8 where the Bible says in verse 8, the Bible says, because finding fault with them, uh, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. And you can read that like, oh, they didn't I continue, and so I'm just, I'm upset with them. But that's not what he's saying. He's mm -hmm. saying they didn't continue and that obliged me to disregard them. That was the term of the covenant. And going back to Moses' smashing of those first tables of stone, that's what that was illustrative. That's what yes. it illustrated was not 
Moses' own like anger necessarily, mm-hmm. though I'm sure he was pretty furious. But it was it was an well, object lesson. It was symbolic of this broken covenant that was instigated. The breaking was instigated by their rebellion. Right. It's interesting. In Deuteronomy 9.17, he says, Then I took the two tablets and threw them down, etc. Verse 18, And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, forty days and forty nights, I ate I neither ate bread or drank water because of all your sin, um, which you did wickedly to provoke the Lord to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you. So he's not throwing a temper tantrum. Right. He's illustrating. Right. He's a representative of God. Yes. yes. And not that God was throwing a temper tantrum. No, but the point is, not. it's interesting in the language that Moses very clearly says, I threw these down because I was almost aghast at right. your rebellion against God. Well, I, I guess what struck me is the symbol of those. It wasn't just a one-off act instigated by Moses. It was a representative action to illustrate the broken covenant. Now, the cool thing about that is that if the covenant was broken by the people and God withdrew his part and the covenant was dissolved, then that would be the end of it. But God in his mercy then tells him to go get two new tables of stone Mm -hmm. and bring those up the mountain. Let's start this again. Which that the thought really hit me squarely that even though Moses broke the stones, he didn't break the law. Right. The covenant itself could be renewed That's as right. God said, let's write it again. Let's so start over. That's a good point because for so many people, like, oh yeah, well, the covenant uh, was broken. That means the Ten Commandments were done away with. No, mm. the covenant was the agreement. Mm-hmm. The commandments are what it were, ba- what the agreement was based on. That's that exactly didn't right. change. Exactly but right. the agreement certainly changed and was reinstated. The illustration that came to my mind was in, in the book of Jeremiah, um, chapter 36. Mm-hmm. You have this um, experience where, um, well, I'm not going to take the time to look it up now. We've we got to keep going. But you have this... God instructs Jeremiah to go to Jehoiakim. Right. And Jehoiakim, the king, does not appreciate what is written on those, those scrolls, right? And right. so he's, I think he's on the third or fourth panel. He's reading it. And he just yes. starts cutting it up and throwing it in the fire. <laughs> and, and now that is actually having a fit, yes. <laughs> unlike the Moses thing. Yes. But Jeremiah doesn't go back despondent and say, like, oh, now the word of God is gone. Right. It's like, no, the paper's gone, and God's like, all right, get another scroll out, start writing again. And what's interesting, it even adds more right. the next time. And the idea being that... The message remained. The message remains even though the medium might be destroyed. And the ultimate thing was not to have it on that first table of stone or even the second table of stone. Mm-hmm. The ultimate aim was to have the law written on our hearts. That's right. And that was the whole point of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, are you there? You want yes. to read verses... Uh, 12 to 16. Yes, please. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart mm. and be stiff-necked no longer. Mm. So in that renewal, he's saying we, we're aiming for the heart, That's right? exactly right. Most famously, Jeremiah 31 We read verses 31 to 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. 
though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my mm-hmm. law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Mm-hmm. Now, that idea of being their God and his people was already with the tables of stone, but right. the ultimate aim was to get it on the heart. And that's the whole point of talking point number one, is spend time talking about the the law is not just what was written on the tables of stone. That it's the it's the experience that God wants to give us whenever we become more like Him in character. Amen. All right. Now, this God that we're becoming like, let's learn a little bit more about Him as the lesson goes on. And from Monday and Tuesday's lesson, I brought out this point that God doesn't know a stranger. Now, in this section, I have added some passages that aren't... I thought God knew everything. <laughs> yes, we'll get into that. But what's, what I mean by that is, what I was about to say is that there are texts in here that aren't in the lesson study per se, but mm-hmm. I, I was thinking as I was writing these talking points, if I was responsible for teaching this week's lesson, mm-hmm. how would I do it? And these are the passages I added, and I figured, well, let me just, this sure. is some talking points we want to bring out. First of all, Let's step back and look objectively about God as he relates to creation. There isn't a part of creation that God is unaware of and that God did not himself make. So there's not like, there's Israel. Where did that come from? Exactly. And there's these other strange, foggy other beasts out there. No, he did everything, right? God created heaven and earth. The Bible opens up with that idea, right? And in Psalm 50, it extols the greatness of God, how everything is his and all the earth and its fullness is his. So... If God has everything in this world, man, beast, land, you name it, then why have Israel? Why did he call them out of that? Why did he choose them or you know, select them in a special way mm-hmm. as opposed to those other ones? It's not, as the Lord himself related, because they're the biggest or the strongest or the smartest or even right. the most righteous. He wanted to use them as a mechanism, as a tool, if you will, to reach most effectively the whole world that has now fallen into sin. So, for instance, when God created the heaven and the earth, there wasn't an Israel called apart. He didn't need a a kingdom of priests. But now that they were in the sinful Mm sin, he's going to use them for a special purpose, right? And that's what we see again there in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We've already visited there, but we're kind of basically walking through Deuteronomy 10. Right. Why don't you read verses 17 through 19 if you already have it. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. And therefore, that's, Yeah, that's enough for right now because we're going to get into therefore what you do in light of that. But okay. God himself shows no partiality. And this is he speaking to a special people. And right. he's saying, I didn't show partiality. Mm-hmm. Well, the specialness of the people was not for the sake of showing partiality. It's actually being a tool so he wouldn't show partiality. He can yeah. demonstrate his love to the outcasts, to the widows, to the orphans, and to the strangers, right? In the Tuesday's lesson, uh, the contributor writes well, says this admonition, speaking of the verses we just read, I'm sorry, verse 9 I did include there. It says, therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt, and you shall fear the Lord your God, and goes on and on and on. Right. This admonition to Israel about how they were to treat outcasts was not by any means the norm in the ancient world. In contrast, Israel was to be different, a light unto the nations. Their kind treatment of the marginalized could have been a powerful witness to the world of the superiority of their God and of their faith, which in one sense was the whole point of their existence anyway, to be a witness to the world 
of their God. So when I say that God doesn't know a stranger, it's that there is nothing strange to God. There are no strangers. In fact, we see repeatedly throughout the Bible that God's objective is to win the whole world. Mm-hmm. Because it's not going to have a special people and the other people. His God is to use these people to reach the other people. Which moves us nicely into our third talking point. Well, before we dive in there, okay, go ahead. a couple of things I'm, I'm thinking about as I'm listening to this, this we're, we're going through this, um, the statement of Jesus where he talks about the poor, and he says, you're always going to have the poor among you. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating when you think about it, like, okay, what do you mean? Why aren't we ever going to get rid of poverty? Mm-hmm. Like, it's an interesting statement for the Lord, that you're always going to have the poor among you, implying not that God uh, 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 makes Poverty, what have mm-hmm. you, and or or desires that people be in that situation, but these situations serve as opportunities for God's people mm-hmm. to respond to them, to mm-hmm. minister to them. Like it tests what's in our heart, mm-hmm. whether it be the poor, whether it be the stranger, mm-hmm. because you talk, you think about the stranger, and you think about what it says in Hebrews that people have entertained angels. angels Unaware, they were strangers to them. So, in other words, and why didn't the angels come and say, "No, no, by the way, we're angels, whatever"? No, they intentionally disguised themselves as strangers to test. Mm. In the one case, Abraham or what have you. So, you know, it just makes me think a little bit about the whole idea of the stranger. God doesn't know a stranger, but God allows. He knows we know strangers, mm-hmm. and even in some situations, brings strangers in our pathway. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's going to be critical. Thank you for bringing that up about how God commands us to entertain as strangers in part because, hey, it's good for us and it's good for them, but also we might be entertaining angels unaware. Uh, We're going to get back to that when we get into this final talking point here that, well, I'll just cut to the chase and we're going to see in a minute that our treatment of other people in part determines our destiny. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, it sounds like a weighty thing, like that's the most legalistic works oriented Mm -hmm. thing I've ever heard. But it's not the cause of our salvation, but it definitely is a demonstration of our salvation in Christ, right? Mm. And the final talking point here that I'm referencing is how we love God is seen in how we love others. And of course, we know that God loves without partiality. We, we often speak of his... his um, John 3.16, right. of course, and, the well, most famous it, passage. Yes. Uh, for God I so mean, loved the world. He stated explicitly that he shows no partiality in what we right. just read. And yeah, and so his love demonstrates in, in regard for humanity doesn't have borders and boundaries. It, it just isn't. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was explaining the quality of this love, he made some statements to, to them at those days, and even probably to us today, mm-hmm. are quite countercultural, right? I think of Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48, where Jesus talks about, um, you, have heard it's, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. And I love how that's the mm-hmm. quote, and hate your enemy. Right. So they've added a little thing, love your neighbor, that's your friends, your families, mm-hmm. your religion, but hate your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies, you know, the strangers, those others, right? Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now think about the heaviness of that. If you just love your own out of our own self-interest, right, that's not real love. That's not Christ-like love. Well, you take the, it's it's fascinating, again, verse 43, as you've highlighted here, you have heard it said. Mm-hmm. 
And neighbor, the word neighbor comes from the word nigh, N-I-G-H, or near. near. The neighbor is whoever is near you. Mm -hmm. So there was this contention at one point, the question comes to Jesus, who is my neighbor? <laughs> so it seems to be that neighbor came into use in the time of Christ, it's more understood as the people I like, that I get along with. Yeah, the people with, who like me or close to like me. Like yeah. we do today. Mm -hmm. Now, a neighbor can be the person living next to me, but oftentimes my neighbor, we, we do lean towards the people, as you said, friends and family members, not enemies. And so yeah. Jesus is re-clarifying, no, neighbor is the one who's near to you, whether he's your friend or not. That's right. Especially if he's not. Yeah. And so he's, yeah, he's laying the ax to the root of this misunderstanding, mm -hmm. right? that you may be, verse 45, sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Mm. So he is, what do we call that? Disinterested benevolence. Mm. It's not uninterested, but it's mm -hmm. disinterested. Right. He's not trying to get something out of it, and he may, knows they may still hate him, but he's still going to give anyway. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than, than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And he sums it up with one of the most controversial statements in the Bible. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. For the same mm. disinterested benevolence, the same lack of partiality that God shows in sending his Son to the whole world, we're supposed to be a reflection of that in our treatment of others. Right. And that's a, that's a pretty heavy thing. And it's... You know, we're like, well, we're quoting from the Sermon on the Mount. This is New Testament. This is Jesus. This is the uh, New Covenant relationship, whereas in the Old Testament is different. But I would submit to you that it has always been the case that love manifests in unselfish service reveals character and determines destiny. It's not just a New Testament sure. thing. It's not just a Sermon on the Mount. The most famous passage for that, of course, Isaiah is Isaiah 58. 258. And we won't take the time to read through it. But in Isaiah chapter 58, you have a people who are definitely trying to be good. They want, and it talks about how in, in, in verse 2, they seek me daily, deny to my ways. As a nation, they did righteousness. They did. Yet, they said, verse 3, why have we fasted and you've not seen? We've afflicted our souls and you take no notice. It seems like they're trying to really work on the love of the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your strength. But there was a missing mm -hmm. element in their experience. Well, I, I, I really, as you're talking, I want to make this clarification because we were doing, because you're saying that they, they seem like they're, they're seriously, they genuinely. Seem like that, yeah. But we, we, we talked about this a few times now that legalism is determined by motivation, mm. and their motivation is like you're talking about disinterested benevolence. What's their whole response? Why aren't you seeing God? Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. So they're doing it as a performance, like I'm right. going to get something out of it. Right. Like their whole motivation is not because they want to please God. They're trying to get some brownie points for this. <laughs> so, well, it seems that they want to have a good rapport with God. They want regard from God. They want the experience of God. But yet, they want to earn it. Yeah, something's clearly off, right? And so God replies to them, is this the, not the fast that I have chosen, verse 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Mm -hmm. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring the poor right. to your house, you're cast out, you see the naked, and you cover them? Now, that's interesting, Mark. You notice they've got hungry people, poor people, the naked people. Mm -hmm. We're going to see those themes repeated in Matthew chapter that's 25, exactly right. just a little foreshadow of what's coming. But he talks about how if you do these things... If you extend your soul, verse 10, to the hungry and satisfy the sick soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as noonday. And he goes on to the rich blessings that come with this. 
in my life today, now there are many, many passages in the spirit of prophecy from welfare right. ministry, for, be all kinds of places, but I just picked this one to tie to that Isaiah 58 that we just read. Why don't you read it there for us? In the 58th chapter of Isaiah, the work that the people of God are to do in Christ's lines is clearly set forth. If they carry out the principles of the law of God in acts of mercy and love, they will represent the character of God to the world and receive the richest blessings of heaven. It's interesting to me how it ties together the living out the law of God with acts of mercy and love. They don't mm -hmm. go separate. It's like, no, I don't think the Sabbath is important. I'm just going to be merciful and I'm going to do these acts of compassion. No, you're not. This is an outworking of these principles. And right. That. And the Isaiah 58 and, and dichotomy the other is, the, is like, oh, I'm going to be faithful. Right. And, and it's not adding to it this well, other thing. the flip thing. side of that is also true. It's like, well, I just think what's important is I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to keep his commandments. If you're not ministering to others in acts of mercy and love, you're not keeping his commandments. And that's exactly now, the point. We cannot on. separate them. And that, I believe, is what Jesus was mm -hmm. trying to illustrate in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. 25. When he refers to, and you find this in verses 31 all the way to verse 46, the illustration of when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he'll sit on the throne of his glory, basically separating mm -hmm. the sheep from the goats, right? And the difference, and look what he lists off here, right? When he comes to the to the to those who are going into heaven, verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for... Now that four is important. The reason they're able to go in, much like you let last week, mm -hmm. you mentioned how you cannot enter unless you're born again. It's not that you will not or may not, you cannot. But here's the reason why they can go in. Four, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Essentially the same list from Isaiah 58. Mm-hmm. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? And he goes on and on and on, and he goes in verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, the flip side of that is the people who didn't see him and didn't do it, uh, the other group that didn't see him, but didn't do those things, that they wouldn't be fit for kingdom. The point is that this love for God... Like, if you saw Christ sick or in prison or in poverty or, or in need of any kind or hungry, you would minister to him, wouldn't you? And he's like, but how do I demonstrate that you really would? Is let me hide my, veil my divinity mm -hmm. and humanity. And he said, I've, the poor with you always, I'm giving you an opportunity to demonstrate the genuineness right. of your love for me in your treatment of others. And that seems to be... We see this in, in the great in the book Desire of Ages, where she talks about the circuit of beneficence, how heaven exists for the purpose of giving. We receive to give. And in our treatment of others, God gives us the opportunity to demonstrate the sincerity of our love for him. That's right. It's fascinating stuff. Anyway, and that's why you see in the summary here, or the, the concluding part of these uh, third talking point. Why it is that Jesus and the apostles consistently teach that our love for others is the ultimate evidence of genuine law-keeping. So while the behavior doesn't earn us a place in heaven, mm -hmm. clearly in this passage what Jesus is saying is their behavior demonstrates their That's fitness right. for heaven. It's exactly right. If they didn't have that behavior of ministering to, to, to him and the person of mm -hmm. others, 
they weren't going in. Well, the way I've phrased it in the past, I like still is it's like their behavior isn't what gets them into heaven, but it's certainly what fits them into heaven, right? That they that, that the cause of their salvation is always going to be the blood That's of Jesus right. Christ, but the condition to comply right. with His society, be, to be a member of that heavenly kingdom. Is this well? We talked about this in like last week's lesson. That it's simply the outworking of that principle that God puts in the new heart. Mm-hmm. If it's not there, then the principle isn't there. Mm-hmm. You know. In other words, the evidence of that transforming power of God and that connection we have with God and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts is those acts of service. Exactly. That's why when Jesus would say in Matthew chapter seven verse twelve, he would talk what we know today as the golden rule, right? Mm-hmm. Do unto others as you, this, and he says, "For this the is the law and the prophets." Yeah. This is the summary statement. Paul would say things like that. Romans thirteen, Galatians mm-hmm. five. He would talk about love as the fulfillment of the law. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this last week too. How Christians might blithely say. Oh, I just have to. I just have to love. Right. Well, I don't have love. Yeah, exactly. I, this is a transformative thing. Exactly. I can't have it. James talks about this too. You have Peter. You have, I mean, James and Paul and Jesus Himself all speaking the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I like to bring in this statement from Acts Apostles, page five fifty one. Why don't you release the first sentence of that or so? It says the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. Perfect. And I know we're a litmus test having people sometimes, but the impulse, like, how would you like to know when you've attained a Christian character? It almost sounds like heretical to Mm -hmm. ask, but he said it's very simple. When that impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within, that your heart is actually changed and you can see it in the life and how you treat other people. Amen. That's how you know. So, in conclusion... A Friday's discussion question asked this following question. Israel needed to remember that they had been strangers in Egypt, which was the one reason they were to treat strangers and outcasts in Israel as they wished they had been treated when they were outcasts. And it asked rhetorically, how does this truth relate to the gospel, to the idea that through the blood of Jesus, we have been freed from the slavery of sin? Why and in what parallel way should what Jesus has done for us impact how we treat others, especially the helpless among us? We need to meditate Mm -hmm. on these themes and by God's grace we will. Amen. Can you close us with prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we are thankful for the testimony of your word and Lord we just pray that as we have studied today these principles of your love would motivate and move and transform us Lord so that those principles would lead us into loving service for others that we would not ignore you in the person of the hungry or the sick or those in prison or any other person in need. Oh, Lord, forgive us for where we've fallen short. And Lord, help us to be more like Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen.